Welcome to Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And together we are Fran Path Consulting. Happy birthday to us, Brittany Bodie. How are you? I'm good. I was going to say, I'm going to save our listeners and not sing back <laughs> to you. Um, there is a I reason never. that I am not a professional singer. So happy I birthday, mean, though. Two years, my friend. Right? Um, it feels like we're having like a sobriety birthday or something when you say yeah. that. It's really an anniversary. <laughs> it's yeah. a, it is our two-year work anniversary um, founding our firm, That which is bonkers. It seems like it's been forever, and it also seems like it's been about two weeks at the exact same time. I know. We um, When we launched the business, we went to the annual conference of the company that we're a part of, the network we're a part of, IFPG. And so we just got back from the IFPG conference. So that was our third conference as consultants. And it's just incredible to see where we've come in, in two years. And also, just to take a few minutes together to think back about what it really took to get to where we are. I mean, hard work, grit, perseverance, those are words that continue to come to my mind over and over again. So I think you and I have just enjoyed spending the last week together in person and really just taking a few minutes, just the two of us to think about you know, how exciting it is what we've built. It is. And, and it is. It's hard work, right? But I think when you're working for a common goal and when you're doing it for yourself, and we happen to have one of the most fulfilling positions that I could ever think of having because we're placing people in businesses and helping them do exactly what we do, which is, it's just super exciting. But it does take a lot of long hours. I remember, you know, us going through and planning this and late nights and weekends and a lot of time spent and still working weekends sometimes mm -hmm. and still late nights. It doesn't just end, you know, and, but I look back on those goals that we wrote and five-year plan and, you know, the two-year plan, the one-year plan. And we're basically where we thought we'd be in five years at year two, which is wild <laughs> to think about. And, and just, we're so lucky to be there so quickly. We really are. I mean, we never thought that by now we would have a team and to go to this conference and be able to bring our team with us. And they already were getting recognition for the work that they've been able to do with their clients and with some incredible brands that we are blessed to work with. I mean, that was really special for me. Just when we built the plan, part of it for us was building the culture that we wanted to be a part of and build the leadership style that we wanted. And I'm like choked up a little bit thinking about it, but just how fortunate we are with such great, talented people that we get to surround ourselves with, both our clients, our brand partners, and our, our team. Yeah, I think that surrounding yourself with talent is probably the number one thing that business owners should take advantage of and treating them right, paying them what they're worth, listening to what their motivations are. I, I think that also is really, really important for the longevity of an organization. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want anyone that works with us to work with us for a year. We want them forever, you mm -hmm. know, or as long as they're happy. And so I do think, 
that's been a big lesson. And then surrounding yourself with people that are light years ahead of where you are right now. And we definitely have partners that we work with on brands that are just so fantastic and that take the time to get to know you and work with our clients, treat them like family and and don't take lightly the decisions they're making because for most people, this is second to who you choose to marry. This is one of the biggest decisions you will ever make in your entire life. And it, you know, just like a marriage, it takes work. <laughs> and so I do think our partners really understand what clients are going through and, and they don't take it lightly. And I think this is a great time for us to introduce a partner of ours that we've recently added to our portfolio. But the owner of this brand is no stranger in franchising. I'm excited to talk to Art of Drawers today. And we have Alan Young, founder and CEO, and Spike Albrecht with the Repham Group on the sales side. He's the director of development. Thank you guys for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. This is this is the podcast everybody's talking about, by the way. Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of them. And I, I can't believe you guys have been around for just two years because... Everybody knows about this podcast. Everybody listens to it. This is the one to be on. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that. And we're excited. I mean, we had, we're just over a hundred episodes in now and um, we love being able to bring on our clients and talented founders and developers. So we appreciate the two of you taking your time out to, to chat with us. So We'd love to kick off just hearing more from each of you about your background. So Spike, I'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to where you are today. Yeah, so I am Director of Development for Art of Drawers here at the Repham Group, um, but I am certainly new to the franchise space. I actually, I come from uh, a long line of, of, of basketball family and sports. So um, I grew up in Crown Point, Indiana, um, we're sports junkies. I, I played basketball in college at both Michigan and Purdue. Um, and then trying to figure out what was next after I graduated in, in 2017. And, you know, naturally, I, I kind of stuck with what I know in, in basketball. So I got into coaching. Um, so I've been doing that the last four or five years at, at both the high school and college level. And then um, decided to take a career pivot, you know, the basketball world and just sports in general, you know, for those of you guys who have friends who coach, it's, it's a crazy business. You work long nights, late hours, you don't make a lot of money. So I was like, I'm never going to be able to have a normal life and, and start a family. So I decided to pivot. Um, I shifted gears over to Salesforce and was there for six or seven months, about a year and a half ago, but um, great company, great people. But Sam, you had, you had mentioned something in the intro um, talking about fulfillment. And I just didn't feel like I was getting it there. Um, I'm someone who has to be passionate about what I'm doing and feel like I have a sense of purpose. So I started networking, talking with folks, um, and I connected with a guy named John Rachi from, from Franworth. Um, and so Rachi's a Michigan alum as well. Rachi connected me with the guys here at Repum, um, Nick and Rob. And the more I started learning about the industry and in the development side of things, I just got super interested and, and I could see myself not only liking it, but being good at it. I, I enjoy working with people and um, I've been here now for about eight or nine months, but I love what I'm doing. I love working with candidates and I, I feel like I'm actually having an impact on, on helping change their lives. So it's, it's been great. 
it sounds like the perfect fit for you. You know, I think you really probably had a big impact being a coach. And so you get that impact, but in a different way, helping people become entrepreneurs. So you've already made a big splash in our industry and, and we're happy to have you here today. So thanks for sharing with us. Absolutely. So Alan, you're not new to franchising. So tell us a little bit about your journey and background and what led you to find our co-found or I can't speak, guys. What led you to found Art of Drawers? Yeah. Well, before we go to that, Spike is, this is going to embarrass him, which is why I love doing it. But um, so he played, he went to the NCAA tournament in college for Michigan and played in the final round. I think, how many, how many points did you score? Four, 13, not, 14? Not enough. I'm going to have to turn my camera off because I'm going to get so red. It's terrible. If you, Google, <laughs> if you Google Spike's name, there's a YouTube video with Dick Vitale um, going through his highlight reel just dropping, you know, threes. It's amazing, like, to see him play at that level. And, you know, you guys were talking about your success and hard work, determination. You know, that's what, when I first met Spike, you know, A, no experience in franchise development, which that was the biggest plus. Um, I've worked with a lot of franchise development folks. And, you know, you don't, you know, really the, the goal is to make a connection, see if it's a good fit, because it is a marriage. And that's, Someone that uh, like him, but hard work, determination gets it. Um, someone that gets to that level of play um, in any sport um, definitely has that. And he's he's absolutely fantastic to work with. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Back to Art of Drawers. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, my, my story, I was a serial entrepreneur. Um, I had 14 businesses before high school. Um, and I remember my high school guidance counselor, she's like, what do you want to do um, when you grow up? I said, I want to start businesses. And this was 1988. So in 1988, being an entrepreneur was not cool at all. In fact, she told me, she's like, you, you can't just go out and start businesses. You have to work in corporate America for 20, 30 years. Maybe like she literally like crushed my dreams. Um, and, you know, back then, though, an entrepreneur was not cool. It was your uncle that lost all of his money twice. That was what an entrepreneur meant back then. Um, and now it's just so much easier and so much more accepted. Um, so, you know, I listened to her. I went, you know, I'm like, okay, I guess I can't go do that. I went to college. I was lucky enough to get an RTC scholarship in the army. So I did five years active duty. Um, and you know, the military was great. It's actually extremely uh, a entrepreneurial. Um, the army and the military's way that, you know, officers lead, it's not textbook. They give you, here's the mission, here's the goal, go out and figure it out and go do it. Um, and as creative as you want to be to go take that hill, be creative, um, and also process. So, you know, franchising is a lot about process and the military does process really well. It does a lot of things really well, you know, planning, rehearsing, you know, most companies aren't good at doing that. Um, we just go out and do stuff. And then you execute and the military is good, really good at debriefing and then adjusting. So, you know, I picked up some really good things in the military. Um, I got off of active duty in 98 um, and went pretty, pretty quickly into starting businesses again. So a lot of home service concepts, um, started a home, home um, technology software company uh, back in 2002 when people were starting to get smart homes. We were doing that. I sold it. I started an indoor air quality heating and air company. And that company, I got to, um, in one year, I got to 1.3 million in revenue, 37% uh, net profit. Um, the story gets really good and it gets really bad. So I'll fast forward to the bad part. Um, 
then I got a note from the army saying, you're still a reserve officer. We're sending you to the middle East. Um, you've got about six months to get your stuff together and get over there. Um, and at that point I had 20 some employees and, you know, I couldn't, I was the business. If you read the e-myth, I was, I was the business. Um, I couldn't take an afternoon off, much less six months off without the business falling apart. So I went to sell it. You know, there's a lot of interest. We were still growing really quickly, great margins. There's a lot of interest in people buying my business. Um, it wasn't a franchise, so they're they're really kind of buying what you built. There's no anything other than what you built. And I, I see if you guys get this right. So typically, you know, a lot of companies are sold as a multiple of profit, multiple of earnings. So what multiple do you guys think I got? We'll see if you get this one right. Are we talking ex EBITDA? Yeah. 37% profit margins, four and a half. Four and a half? I was going to say four to six. So she and I are pretty similar. So you're, so the actual number you're close, the number is zero because um, everybody looked at it and said, you know, I had a 76% close rate selling in the home. I did 980,000, that 1.3 million sales. My best sales guy had a 35% close rate. And it's pretty simple numbers. Like if the, he had run all your appointments, if you weren't here, you would have lost money. I had 300% turnover. I was getting up at 6 a.m. working till literally 10 at night running appointments six days a week. I would sleep in on Sunday and do office work, catch up Sunday afternoon and do it all over again. And I remember that year was, um, it was painful, but um, someone's, it reminded me of a story with the army. I had really, after about four or five years of doing all this stuff, my feet started being really giving me a hard time. I could barely walk after I'd run, do my runs in the morning. So I finally went to the army podiatrist. Two minutes into it, he said, I know exactly what your problem is. Because you're a size 12 and you've been wearing a 10 and a half combat boot for five years. And I'm like, that's the one they issued me. He goes, didn't, didn't it hurt when you put on those combat boots? And I remember my reaction was, I thought they were supposed to hurt. And I think that's the way a lot of entrepreneurs are. We think it's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be that hard. doesn't mean there's not hard work and, and grit and determination you have to do to get through it. But I just accepted that as my reality. So um, I, they, I sold my business on an earnout. So the deal was six months after they took it over, if it was still in business, I would start getting a, a percentage of their revenue over time. But it, it was out of business. I got a note. I was deployed in the Middle East a month into it. And there was, uh, there was nothing there anymore. They were right. Um, I was the business, but when I got back, um, I had a company that sold custom pull-out shelving, a small three or four person company that helped me, that had me help them come up with a plan on how to scale. So I came up with a dealer model for them. That's what I did before I deployed, because when you don't have a job, you get to, you know, the, get business cards printed up with consultant on them. So I did that for like two or three months right before I deployed after I'd handed over the keys to my business and I came back and they were wanting to, I gave them the plan, but they wanted me to do the plan with them. So we started with a dealer model um, for about two, two years, we did a dealer model so people could sell and install what we, what the boxes that we built, the custom drawers. And then I got to a point where I started opening up all these locations myself. Um, and I started a call center, built technology and I opened up um, uh, Chicago, Milwaukee, Twin Cities, Atlanta, Alabama. And one day I woke up and I was the one that had told them early on, I said, don't franchise, you don't have systems, you don't have processes. But literally one day I woke up and all that I built um, with, you know, we we're doing eight or nine million in revenue and all these different cities. I didn't live there. 
because the model runs itself. We create a new employee model. All the things that, that are really attractive today to candidates were kind of done by necessity. And that's when I woke up I'm like, this is something that we can franchise. So um, I bought them out and launched the franchise in the fall of 2008. So that franchise was Shelf Genie. Um, the fall, you guys remember the fall of 2008, how much fun that was. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> literally um, launched in September of 2008. So it was terrifying. Um, but this is one of those, and there's a lot of stories in business, terrifying, but it works out great. We're an Inc. 500 company for 2009, 10, 11. Turns out the recession, we do really well when there isn't a recession, but we do really well when there is a recession because people aren't gutting their kitchens and replacing everything. They're doing small affordable five, six, $7,000 upgrades. So that went really well, but we were an Inc. 500 company, Entrepreneur 500 company. In 2016 is when I started to get really frustrated because we had a couple hundred branches locations. We had thousands of people in the field and getting any kind of, I love to innovate. Um, and any kind of innovation was like six months to get one little thing rolled out fully to the system. Um, so out of that frustration was born Art of Drawers. So the idea was um, was actually to award an Art of Drawers franchise to the top performing Shelf Genie franchisees. So we could start with a small group and get them to do these things that we've been trying to change and do. Um, and right about the time we we're getting ready to, to launch it, Neighborly came along, which owns about 30 home service brands and wanted to buy Shelf Genie. Um, I agreed to sh sell them Shelf Genie, but um, I did not agree to sell them Art of Drawers. And more importantly, I spent about $5 million over that decade or so building out the technology package that runs the business for the franchisees. So I licensed them the then current version of it, but we kept that software. Uh, we put another few hundred thousand dollars in developing it. Art of Drawers owns it and the IP. And um, what's very exciting about this model, we've upgraded a lot of things and can talk about it, but we've got the ability to license, our franchisees can license the software to closet companies, countertop companies, really build an industry within their territory above and beyond what they are building in their B2C model, which is super exciting. So that's how we got here. I think there's a lot that I didn't recognize on there. I didn't, I knew that the technology was a component and sitting down with you guys, I just didn't realize the licensing portion. And that's really exciting for a franchisee to have another active revenue stream. And yep. I love the story about your combat boots. Thank you for your service. My my dad was in the army. And so Army know, Rangers, right? Yeah. Yes. Great memory. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. It it is not an easy job. And I can't imagine it doing anything in shoes that are a size and a half too small. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sometimes things feel like that parenting, owning businesses, right. <laughs> but that's, thankfully that was an easy fix. So when we talk art of drawers, if you guys could just boil it down and, and kind of spike as you're talking to candidates, what are you telling them about art of drawers as they're coming in? What are the need to knows about this business? Yeah. Um, so I always just start with the product and the features, like what actually is Art of Drawers and what are the, the services and solutions that we provide. So it's custom pullout drawers for kitchens, pantries, bathrooms. Um, we also do under cabinet lighting and cabinet refacing. Um, but really the goal of, of our service and our solutions is to, prov to provide more space, more accessibility and more organization in people's homes and, and help remove some of that frustration. You know. If you look at my background on my screen, you can kind of see 
and get a glimpse of, of what some of the services we offer are. Um, so I always start there. So then I always, you know, talk about the industry and, and go into Alan's background. You know, we just started franchising a, a few months ago. Um, but the fact that our founder, you know, started a very similar, very similar concept back in 2008 and has a ton of experience um, in the industry and has already built a successful model and understands how to, you know, support franchisees and, and grow a system. Um, that's really what I start with when I'm speaking with candidates, at least in, in the early stages. I think it's smart to talk about the product and as a starting point, what are the services that you offer? And, you know, we're seeing right now that so many people are staying put because of interest rates. My husband and I were just talking about this, that we're going to redo our floors. We're going to update our bathrooms. We're going to, we have a small galley kitchen. We're going to work on storage in our kitchen to make improvements on it. So it's an incredible opportunity, in my opinion, in a market that, people want to stay put. I would love to just understand maybe from you, Alan, more about how you're differentiating yourselves in, in your space. I mean, the technology component is huge, but what do you view as your core differentiators from the competition? Yeah. So, you know, our challenge is the only competition we have is my other company. So this is born out of an upgrade to that. So this is the Lexus, the, the Toyota. So um, you know, we spent a lot of time. I think the biggest thing I did that I learned halfway into building Shelf Gene, I already had 50 some employees in our home office, was learning about culture um, and finding those great people that you guys were talking about uh, at the beginning. And you really find them by you can create a destination employer um, scenario when you have really strong culture and values. That's what. And so when people come in, they look on our wall, they see our values. We talk about them. Um, you know, think like an entrepreneur is one of our values, um, act as one team, deliver a wild experience to our clients. And we define it even further than that, um, you know, being being vulnerable and asking for help, uh, celebrating uh, mistakes um, if we learn from them. Those the very countercultural things are people just light up and go, I want to work in a place that thinks and acts like this. Um, you can attract some really good talent. We just interviewed a designer for a corporate location this morning. Um, she was a senior director at Microsoft has led multi-million dollar technology platforms. And now she's doing some um, executive coaching um, is kind of her, her shift, but she saw us at home. She's like, I wanna be a part of this. And we're able, because our um, all of our designers and installers are part-time contractors, we can, we can attract some serious talent and people that, um, you know, stay-at-home moms are fantastic because a lot of them have these great careers and they can go in and say when they're available and can be scheduled. Um, we get actors. There's actually some people that you might have even maybe maybe recognize, not A or B list, but there's Atlanta's got a lot of actors. But we can we can actually attract this great talent, and they're not employees, and they're and I think the important part of that is they they're here because they want to be here, not because they have to be here. They want to be a part of it. So I think that's really critical when you're building a team is getting the culture right. We also elevate elevated the brand. Um, from Shelf Genie to Art of Drawers. If you look at the two, there's a distinction there in the brand. Um, and then we added products. So we do refacing and, and cabinet um, retrofit lighting. No one that I found that can do retro or wants to do and can do retrofit in cabinet under cabinet lighting and refacing is an extension. We're getting so many customers asking us, you know, because you're committing to your cabinets. So if you reface, get a new countertop or do custom pull out drawers, you just committed long term to your cabinets. Um, so if you do one of those, the other two 
kind of come naturally. So we've added a lot of products, but our challenge really is industry awareness, not competition. So I want us to have, and this is when I was a CEO of the Shelf Genie and owned it, um, I really want us to have five, 10, 15 more competitors because our industry is a hundred million dollar year industry, which is mainly Shelf Genie, us, and literally a few guys in trucks in certain cities that kind of come and go that you'll never really see because they don't advertise. Um, the closet industry, which we had the same unit, same model, designers go in, installers install it, same average sale, same close rate, all the unit economics and models the same. The closet industry is $60 billion. $60 billion industry. We're a $100 million industry. So our and we have the same demographic. Like if you're going to spend five or $10,000 on a closet, you'll spend five or $10,000 on what we do. It's really just awareness. So the more people, the better. And that's why we're really excited. And, and the reason why there's no one else doing this, the only way you can do this at scale is with this $5 million software package. Um, and that's only because we built it. I built it as I was scaling it every step of the way as we had scale and get too big to handle our technology, we'd upgrade the technology to handle it. And there's never going to be software out there because you have to build it as you're doing it. And so we've got this software that everyone needs. Every closet company, you know, would you like to add another million dollars in revenue by offering this and upgrading using the software? Franchisee gets a percentage of that as a royalty. Um, we want to build an industry. So it's, <clears throat> it's interesting. We have some differentiators. Um, you know, I don't like to beat up on um, my younger brother or whatever. Uh, if you look at Shelf Genie, it's still, so it's it's my child I still created. So um, <clears throat> I don't like to beat up on him, but we definitely, we can win that fight if we needed to, but it's really not a fight for, we're not fighting over customers. We're fighting over, you know, market awareness together. So when we go into a market, we do really well. And guess who else does well? Shelf Genie does well. And anybody else doing it, we want, we're building an industry, which is, I think extremely unique. I've, I've done, I've had a lot of businesses and I've never been in a position to build an actual industry and create one that barely exists. So that's what I, I'm most excited about. And I think the franchisees we're talking to, you know, our model works great. Um, we know how to do it better, faster uh, than we ever did it before, but the ability to build an industry and be a part of that is super exciting. There's a lot of blue ocean left there that, I can't believe the difference between the closet industry and then the drawers industry that because it does seem like they would be so much closer if you're and I am I'm a client of both. I have pull out drawers in my kitchen. We yep. have custom closets. And so and I will tell you, I would do the kitchen first every single time and I don't even like to cook. So yeah. <laughs> you just have to deal with it more. You can hide the closet. If the closet's a mess, you just shut the closet door. <laughs> and closets are easy. You know, if, if when California closet started 60 years ago, it was easy for people to go, oh, that's successful. And there's a second, third, fourth, fifth. You know, now there's thousands of them, um, companies that do it. But it's easy to follow because you're putting up these melamine walls and you put up a wall and you put another one 12 inches or 18 inches apart and you put standard things in them. We're using wood, you know, 10 different wood species, building down to the millimeter with depth, height, all these customizations we do, U-shape, literally almost infinite SKUs and pricing it, quoting it and installing it. We make it, our technology makes it seamless, but it's the barrier to entry is too high without the technology. So there's a huge end up demand. We went to a closet conference, the largest closet conference in the country. And every closet company is like, I'd love to be able to offer this, but we've tried to do it without the software. We keep messing up the jobs. 
we'd love to have the software. So we know the need is out there and we just need our franchisees to come in and one, you know, build an amazing business and empire with Art of Drawers, but then build an industry around you. Can you imagine being the second closet company ever and getting your royalty in every closet company after that? It would be incredible. Right place, right yeah. time. Yeah, that's an, I, I can imagine it. <laughs> I can do that, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> We'd still have this podcast, but yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I'd, I'd still be joining too. I was kidding. <laughs> we know you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think you said something about culture and building culture, and we talk a lot about the right people in the right place and the right time. And you built Shelf Genie without bringing in a franchise sales organization or without engaging outside sources. This time around Art of Drawers, you guys decided to work with the Rebum Group, who has a stellar reputation in franchising. Correct. What made you decide to join Rebum and have them represent you on this front? Yeah. So having been in the industry, there's probably like eight companies out there that you get you guys know that eight companies out there that you guys know that I talked to over the course of a year and I knew most of them personally. Um, so I spent a long time picking the right one. Um, and, you know, really a lot of it's just, you know, fit and people and culture of, of their team did align with us. But I think really just alignment on um, finding the right candidates. Uh, and really the, re the reason I choose to work with Repum, I mean, why did I choose Repum out of all of them? Um, by far, after I looked at everything, I had spreadsheets. I, I probably overthought, although I, it's a big decision. I think picking a franchise sales company to work with um, is probably just as big as picking a franchise. It's, it's a big long-term commitment. Um, but just the, using an outside franchise company, if you get the right one, and you get somebody like Spike and Jen, who who's his VP, and they have a great process. I think, you know, that's where franchisors really get caught up. It's hard to be good at selling and awarding franchises and supporting franchisees and franchise partners at the same time and be good at both. They're two totally different worlds that you're living in. Um, so if we can have a great partner that helps us find the right franchise candidates and franchise partners, um, and then we can take them from there and nurture them, train them, support them, and really be their partner in becoming successful. That that's winning. If we're if I'm spending a lot of my time on selling franchises, that's every minute I do that is a minute I'm not helping support our existing franchises and building the brand. We look for franchisors that are franchisee focused. If they do not put their franchisees first, they're not a good fit for us. We don't care what the widget is or the numbers. So we love to hear that that's your focus. That was your motivator. And it sounds like you spent a lot of time working with the team at Rep and working with Spike, working with Jen to educate them on who was that ideal candidate. So Spike, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Like of our clients, who's that right fit? Who should we bring to Art of Drawers? Yeah, you know, I think it's, there's a hodgepodge of folks that, that we talk to. I mean, you know, I, I was talking to guys earlier about, about my pipeline and um, I talked to folks from all walks of life, but I really think the ones who really resonate and move through the process quickly with, with art of drawers are folks who a 
they see the product, they like it. They believe in the service. Like they can see themselves as a customer. Um, and that tends to be most folks I talk to, right? They see this and similar to your reaction, Sam, where they're like, oh my gosh, I could see this in my kitchen or in my neighborhood. Like all my friends and family would love this. Um, but then it's also folks, when you look at the model and the, the simplicity of our concept and all the, the support and systems that Alan has put in place, um, it's really folks who just want to build teams and build a great culture. So if you have folks coming from corporate America who you know want to build a great design team and, and great designers, um, those are the folks who, who really resonate and, and move forward with the process. Um, they don't have to have sales experience or industry experience. I think about our first two franchisees, um, our first one down in Birmingham, you know, she comes from the closet organizing space. So like she has industry experience and she's great. Um, she's been, you know, in the space for over 20 years, but our second franchisee, he has a consultant slash engineering background. So like he has, you know, no familiarity to space. He just likes building teams and he loves the systems and processes that Alan has in place. Yeah. I'll just jump in on that. The, um, you know, we're the, the getting excited about the business. It still shocks me how excited our customers get about the solutions here. I've been doing it. I like, I get it. I, you know, I, I founded it years ago, but people get crazy excited about this and really, you know, we've got wooden drawers and we're doing organization, but really what we do is we turn frustration and pain into joy and love. That's what we're selling um, all day long um, because people get frustrated in their kitchens. And especially as they get older, it becomes pain, physically painful, but also dangerous, bending down and reaching and getting things. So we, we service a wide variety of, of customer uh, types, but all of them down, down to every single customer, if they're, they get frustrated in places. And if we can take something people like open up their cabinets and everything's going to fall out, they hate getting in there to looking forward to doing it and cooking more and enjoying it. That's where you spend, think about how much time you spend with your family, whether you're an empty nester and your spouse or your kids. And if you're frustrated in that space, how do you show up to them? Like it's, it's a big deal. Uh, a lot more than people think until they get into it. So that's when things franchisees, when they do it, like, wow, I had no idea. We have a net promoter score of over 80, which most companies don't have. Um, it's because almost everybody's saying on a scale from one to 10, how much we refer somebody in nine or 10 is what almost everybody gives us. We give a hundred percent elation guarantee um, where we'll remove it if they're not a hundred percent elated and we custom build everything, but that's something that happens so infrequently. Um, it's a big deal, but people get really excited about it. And we're looking for connectors and team builders. Um, they do not have to have sales experience because we're not, it's not a salesy process. We're going in and designing and really focused on helping people. Um, and really excited about growing and scaling and not improving operational efficiency. You know, there's, there's two types of folks. And we met with, a it was a countertop company that wants to give us referrals. And this is a IT guy who bought this business right after COVID hit, he worked with Delta airlines and he's like, I know nothing about marketing sales. He goes, I'm an operations guy. He would not make a good franchisee for us. Um, he wants to, and he owns, you know, they manufacture and do countertops. That's really necessary in a lot of businesses to get operationally streamlined. In ours, we've handled all that. We want you to grow and build and scale. And then I think the third one, and this is for, you know, any, anybody you have, you can probably tell, but, it's hard to, if people get to, everybody's got a number or a lot of people have a number, but they want to, 
And people lie to themselves about that number. Like, I don't have a number. I want to make 200,000, 300,000, 500,000. No, they, they have a number that they're, they get comfortable. And that's the biggest problem I had with Shelf Genie was it's very, you know, you cash flow positive in the first 90 days, typically. Um, <clears throat> there's very little overhead. You start, you know, the returns are really good if, if you look at our numbers. Um, and so there's not a lot of sharp edges. You start doing well and people get to a point where they're comfortable within the first year or two. And then they slow down. Like they're not doing all they can do to develop that territory. So that's our number one thing is how do we find people that won't slow down when they get to a certain number that really want to build an empire? Um, that's that's probably our number one thing, that hunger and drive to really build something really big versus you get out of that, I'm scared to death and everything's going to fall apart because I bought this business and what if it fails? And as soon as you get out of that, that fear and you get into comfort, we want the people that don't slow down at that point. They don't have to work insane hours. In fact, once you build a team and you start building on it, you you can have bandwidth to go you know buy another home service company that's synergistic. We're very I'm huge fans of that, but the slowdown thing, if you guys can tell who those are, there's other franchises that are good for them. Yeah, that's good for us to know that that empire builder mentality, somebody that is there that stays competitive, stays hungry, and also, you know, not needing an operational because if you just look at this on the surface, it does seem like it would be logistics or an operational person coming in doing this. So that business development minded person, that's that's good for us to know and good for our clients listening to this as well to understand. Now, you guys, when we end this podcast, we end it with the same two questions every time. You are not sent those ahead of time because, oh, we, want- <laughs> you because we always want you to be able to answer these really from your heart. Um, the first one that I have for you guys, and and Spike, I'll start with you, and then I'll toss it to you, Alan. What is your personal compelling reason for being in the franchise space? Yeah, so I think it's kind of twofold. First off, I eventually see myself as as being a franchisee. Like I I like to think that I'm a very entrepreneurial person. Um, I would like to own my own businesses, my own franchises someday. Um, so selfishly, I feel like I'm getting an, an MBA in, in franchising right now. Um, but then secondly, it goes back to, to what I said in the introduction. Um, I'm someone who has to be passionate about what I'm doing and feel like I have a sense of purpose. And for me and for this, for this role in particular, particular, my purpose is getting to deal with, with candidates and, and take them through the education process and hopefully help, help change their lives. You know, whether it's, it's with our brand or a different brand. Like this is a big step, a big investment for them. Um, I like to think of the candidates as if they were like my friends or family, and you know, I want to make sure I'm I'm doing right by them to help set them up, because um, that's what it's ultimate ultimately all about. I love that, Alan. I'll toss that one to you. What is your personal compelling reason for being in the franchise space? I think it's really this. I, I, you know, I grew up as an entrepreneur um, and supporting those people, everybody that wants to be an entrepreneur. And I've heard this before, like, well, you're not an entrepreneur if you buy a franchise. No, you're if you if you buy and start a franchise, you're an entrepreneur. You're a smart entrepreneur because your chances of going out and starting something on your own and surviving. And I've started a lot of business. Not not many of them saw the light. They're like the little turtles that hatch on the beach Their chances of getting to the ocean. Pretty small. So you're a smart one if you get a franchise. And I. It's life-changing. It's a life-changing event. It can be a life-changing event either way. 
Um, but that positive life changing event where you can see people and where they came from and watch them grow, like just watch them a year later when now, or like listening to you guys talk like two years into it, where you're at and your journey and how exciting it is. Um, that, that to me is exactly why I wake up in the morning. I love that. I mean, it is, it's such a great opportunity to help people that may not be the ideas guy. Don't want to build process and systems from the ground up, have access to $5 million plus in technology. You can't do that if you don't join a franchise. So, so many incredible benefits that you've built for people that want to be entrepreneurs. And then our last question, we love advice. You know, we have built um, a lot of what we've done off of surrounding ourselves with great people and mentors. So throughout life, I have to imagine each of you have received great advice. So I'll kick it back over to you, Spike. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Who? Um, mine, mine would have to be, it kind of like goes back to, to being sports related. Um, but I think it, it relates and correlates to all aspects of life. Um, it would be, don't, don't ever let somebody tell you what you can or can't be or what you can or can't do. Um, I just thinking about my basketball career, like I was always told I was too short, wasn't good enough, wasn't strong enough. And kind of just use that as, as fuel for motivation. And, and I think the same can be said for in business and in other aspects of life. Business, personal, yeah. I think that's extremely transferable. That's great advice. All right, Alan, wrap us up here. Tell us your best piece of advice. Yeah, I think it was my mentor. Um, and it was right after I started Shelf Genie and we had a manufacturing plant. So I was getting involved in that, looking at, you know, you know, our error rate and deficiencies and things like that. I remember asking him, like, what's the quality control number? Is it 98, 99%? What's the number you know that needs to be good when it's going out? Um, and he'd run a huge manufacturing uh, plant before, and I was expecting this. I was expecting the number like 1.2 percent error rate. And he goes, "The number, the number you want is the number that's better than yesterday." And I'm like, "Wow!" Like that just that stuck with me completely because you're at wherever you're at. And I think even with franchisees, like you look, we post numbers in the system and what everybody's doing and it shows what's possible, but you're at wherever you're at. And if you get 1%, you know, it's the compound effect. If you get 1% better every day, um, it's tremendous. So that continuous improvement, just get a little bit better than you were yesterday. Don't focus on anything else. Just stay in, stay in that mindset. That's fantastic. I think I think that's the goal. And that's a really good way to take on entrepreneurship as well, because so many times we get, you know, we focus on, we call them the BHAGs, the big hairy audacious goals that you're, you're looking at and you forget about all the teeny tiny little actions that it takes to, to get there. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I'm so excited about Art of Drawers. We really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to hang out with us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks, guys. So if you'd like to learn more about franchising and diversifying your portfolio through franchising, email us at info at franpathconsulting.com. Follow the FranPath Consulting Podcast on Apple or Spotify. Please rate and review us five stars. You can also follow us on Instagram at FranPath. Facebook and LinkedIn at Fran Path Consulting, 
or go to our website, franpathconsulting.com to take your free business assessment. Mm-hmm.